Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. Another episode of Beyond the Valley and another Swiss ski resort for Arjun to eat fondue in. This time it's Davos for the World Economic Forum, a melting pot, not of cheese, but of industry leaders from business to politics to the arts and of course tech. AI was unsurprisingly the hot topic on the mountains. We'll be hearing from some of the key companies about where this rapidly advancing technology is heading, and we'll also discuss crypto following Arjun's conversation with the CEO of Ripple. Beyond the Valley. How are you feeling, Arjun? It's been a long week, I bet. Been a long week, Tom. Um, I think the altitude may have got the, the better of me. Uh, high up in the mountains. I'm not built for the cold. I do live in the UK, but I'm just not built for the cold. <laughs> we know ne- next next time we'll have to, um, you know, relocate uh, the World Economic Forum in uh, the Caribbean or something. Well, they they did it in May. Otherwise, you're just not going to go. But yeah, <laughs> they did it in May one year due to COVID, and it was brilliant. And everyone um, who was there in that edition loved it. They were like, "Why don't we do it in May all the time?" So um, you know, would be nice. That that is actually the only time I've been to the World Economic Forum was that May edition, and uh, yeah, it was lovely. Sun was out. I was like, "What was everyone complaining about?" You know, it's uh, very easy to get around, and uh, yeah, lovely to walk the promenade. What was I dealing with today? Um, just slush, slush all over the. You know, the the snow had melted, and just brown slush. So you had to sort of walk very carefully every time you took a step you'd be be uh, a little bit scared that some sort of you know uh, a splash would happen and go inside your snow boots so yeah treacherous walking today <laughs> have you seen any bad falls um no i have almost slipped about four times uh but uh and it, it's been when uh it's sort of been when it's uh, when the sun set so you can't really see where the ice is uh and it's been a weird sort of weather pattern it was super cold for the first few days so there was lots of snow and the sort of snow had just kind of set and and then it started to melt a bit and then turn into that icy thing and now it's just complete slush so um yeah uh it was freezing it was like minus 13 one day yeah well you're in the alps so in january so you know it's not the weather it's the clothing were you wearing correct uh, correct gear? Snow boots, snow boots, a big jacket and some gloves. Job done. With a man such as yourself, a man of sartorial elegance, uh, the snow boots would have been fantastic looking. Yeah, you know, with the with the sort of slim fit, sort of bright pink suit I was wearing, snow boots were just capped it off beautifully. You know, I expect, you know, GQ magazine to be following up with me after this. <laughs> a sight for sore eyes i bet um okay before we uh let's move on from fashion and weather but before we get into the main story um let's uh let's hear arjun's stat of the week uh stat of the week tom 50 billion dollars 50 billion dollars a flat 50 okay okay u.s dollars 
Flat 50. All right, good. Uh, we'll, we will um, discover what that is or either from me or from Arjun at the end of the episode. Um, if you have any questions for Arjun or myself uh, or, or any of the uh, subjects that we cover on the uh, podcast, then please email in at uh, beyondthevalley at cnbc.com and we will answer those. Um, okay, let's get started. Arjun, let's do a quick AI sentiment survey from your interactions with the WEF attendees. Can you give us a percentage split between positive and negative in terms of views on, on AI? I got Granted, this is not a foolproof methodology, uh, I know, but I thought it would be worth hearing. Just, just before I do that, Tom, I just want to give a bit of colour to our listeners, right? Because I've been coming to Davos for sort of, I think, six, seven times now. Um, I've lost track. But the last sort of two to three years, there's a main strip in Davos called the Promenade. And um, businesses and governments take over coffee shops and, uh, and storefronts and restaurants and set up shop with all their branding and stuff like that. Now, the last two or three years, it's been super heavy on blockchain and crypto companies. They're the ones who have really been going big. This year, uh, crypto and blockchain has been nudged aside and AI is the cool kid on the block. Every single company or nearly every single company down that promenade has some sort of AI advertising thing, even if they didn't really have much to do with AI anyway. Uh, and I think that goes down to your question about sentiment. It's all very hyped up right now. There's a lot of positive energy around it. We love this technology. It's going to reduce costs, it's going to make our businesses more efficient, all of that kind of thing. Um, and then on top of that, there's the big debate over the um, the risks with it, you know, around things like the bias that may creep in to the data that these AI models are being trained on, uh, the ability for these so-called AI models to hallucinate, uh, as they call it, uh, or, or, you know, basically that means give wrong information. Um and also, you know, what effectively more automation means for jobs um, and uh, society. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, warned this week that there's a chance AI may increase inequality and favor those on already high incomes. So, you know, that's really what all the conversation has been about this week. It's on one part, the tech and how that's going, how that's developing, what's the future look like. Uh, and then on the other side, all these sort of uh, societal concerns and um, regulatory concerns as well. Okay, I'm going to take, take you back to my original question then. So if you were to break it down in terms of, I'm not saying negative like, oh, I'm totally against AI, but more concerned maybe, maybe pouring a little bit of, of that cold water from Davos on, on AI or the, the hype, where would you say the general feeling was? Would you say it's 80-20 in terms of more positive to negative to, to that sort of conservative small c? I, th I think overwhelmingly quite positive. You know, everyone's very excited about it. I think everyone's very positive about what it can do to their businesses. Remember, the, remember obviously, you know, Davos doesn't necessarily represent the entire population uh, of the world. You know, it's a lot of businesses um, and, you know, the way businesses are looking at AI is, well, if we can increase productivity, um, reduce costs, uh, speed things up, you know, ultimately that's going to be better for, for revenue and profit as well. And so I think given that there's a large business community, that is what is going on. And, and then there's a lot of governments present. 
And so they're obviously quite positive on the technology too. Um, they want to draw in all these companies to set up shop in their countries um, as well. So I think at Davos, it is overwhelmingly positive. I think in the broader society uh, at large across the planet, we, we perhaps um, uh, that, that split isn't as positive. <laughs> and I imagine also the governments must be surely a little concerned with maybe the threat to democracy that AI could pose. Um, you know, granted they want, you know, business, businesses to set up shop in their countries, but, but there is that sort of underlying threat, which, you know, um, a lot of people are worried about, particularly this year with, with elections coming up. Absolutely. I mean, the elections have been a talking point across all of the discussions I've been having. And in particular, you know, the impact of technology on them, you know, the last election cycle, we saw uh, what happens when uh, there is influence on social media platforms and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of concern that actually um, the Internet just broadly is just not ready again this time around for to tackle things like misinformation um, and that kind of thing. So I think that's going to be a, a big deal to watch this year um, that the election cycle, that misinformation and, and, and the dangers that come with it is going to be, uh, yeah, quite a pertinent topic, I'd say. This week, I've been reading a lot about how uh, companies are looking beyond chat GPT uh, in terms of AI's capabilities. How much of the, 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 the discussions that you had with some of these key stakeholders in AI uh, was about sort of the future uh, and beyond sort of what we now, what we currently know uh, as a generative AI? Yeah, so Tom, I've tried to make this week about that uh, because, you know, last week, uh, sorry, last year, 2023 was all about the explosion of chat GPT, right? And these sort of generative AI models and and the chat bots. Um, but I was so, I, I was more fascinated this week, given we had a really interesting uh, lineup of, of tech speakers in the AI space. You know, what are some of the new ways AI are going to be used beyond chatbots? And I want to talk about a few of them. Um let me first start off with chatbots. Right now we have ChatGPT, uh, Google Bard, and some of the other ones, uh, and they're basically trained on past data. And you know, you input a question and parameters and whatever, and it, it spews out an answer. Um, but there, there is a thought about what comes next for the chatbot game. Uh, and someone who gave me a really good insight into that was Leandro von Vera, a lead researcher at a company called Hugging Face, uh, which is one of the, a big sort of AI code repository. Um, I asked him a little bit about what comes next uh, in sort of the generative AI game. Let's just listen in. I think one very interesting thing that we're going to see to happen more and more is that these models get autonomy. So rather, at the moment, if you work with ChatGPT or if you're a programmer and you work with Copilot, you work in a very synchronized way where you expect the language model to give you instant answers to your questions. But what we see more and more is that these models act as agents. So you can say, I want to research this topic for a presentation I have to give tomorrow. And then the model goes and searches the web and assembles like a few keynotes, uh, maybe a, a short summary, and comes up back after an hour or two with like much more information than it could give you like instantly. Oh wow! Okay, so it's a, almost like a much more of a personal assistant. Can you help me out with this problem? 
and then you leave it to do its thing, and then it comes back. Yes, exactly. Okay. And if you if you think about it, if the model has to give you an answer instantly, mm -hmm. it can only do so much in like a millisecond or a second until it needs to give you an answer if you write with it as a chatbot. But if you say it's an assistant and you give it a task and it comes back a little bit later, it has so much more time and compute to uh, refine the answer. So Leandro's view there was that we will still have chatbots, but they'll become almost like personal assistants where you might ask them to do something uh, and then they may go away for an hour or two and then come back to you with all the information and, and whatever that might be. I thought that was a really interesting uh, concept um, as well. The second big thing we've been talking about here is AI simulation. This is, this is a really interesting um, part of, of the AI spectrum. AI simulation is this idea that um, you AI can effectively simulate lots and lots and lots and lots of different outcomes, you know, millions of times in a very short space of time to come to an answer. Uh, and it can work on very limited data sets um, to come up with an answer. Um, now, I can't explain it as eloquently as Jack Hiddery, who's the CEO of Sandbox, um, but he, he certainly has a good way of putting it. Let's listen in to what he had to say. When it comes to, say, a new drug or a new battery chemistry, we all know about the electric vehicle revolution. We want to see batteries that can take us farther instead of just uh, 500 kilometers of range, maybe seven, 800 kilometers of range. We also want batteries that can store energy coming from solar and wind yeah. for the clean energy revolution, climate change. And so when we want to have breakthroughs like that, there actually isn't very much data at all to right. download. Actually there, we kind of have to start from scratch with whole cloth new data. Now, how do we create this data? Well, the good news is that we know the equations that govern ions and atoms and molecules, right? We know those equations. Those were given to us 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're here in Switzerland. Many of them were created right here at the ETH in Zurich and other locations in Switzerland, along with a few locations across Europe by Einstein, by Bohr, by Schrodinger, by Heisenberg, by those individuals. Until two years ago, Arjun, we didn't have the compute capacity on this earth to run those equations at scale. Mm. So the same GPUs that we're all familiar with that have driven the LLM revolution, yeah. these graphic processing units um, from NVIDIA, from Alphabet, from Amazon, from so many companies, these GPU units now we can use in another way. Instead of just using it to train for LLMs, we can actually have them run simulation algorithms to run the equations that govern molecules, that govern ions, that govern atoms, and we can, say, generate simulations billions of times over of what a battery chemistry would be that doesn't have cobalt. Yeah. What a battery chemistry would be that doesn't have lithium. What would be a possible configuration of a drug that fits in to a receptor on a brain cancer tumor. Mm. Now, that takes the generation billions and billions of times. So it could take months, but that's the good news. It's, it, before that, it was impossible to do. Yeah. Now, once we have that data, then we apply deep learning. The neural networks you've been hearing about here today and across Davos, we apply those artificial neural networks to drive towards, towards a certain goal. For a drug, it might be, let's take all that simulation, let's find the one molecular configuration that not only fits into that receptor, to hit pancreatic cancer or brain cancer, but also is soluble, it, we can create a pill out of it, has other characteristics that make it an actual drug. Mm. And we do all that, Arjun, to bring down the time and cost. Today it takes on average 15 years to develop one molecule to be a medicine, on average 3 billion euro to do that. Yeah. 
we just, Sandbox AQ just took a molecule from UCSF and we shaved in eight months of computation, shaved down eight years and a huge amount of money off this process. So this is happening now. You still have to go to clinical trial. Yeah. But you're going into clinical trial having tested it on billions and billions of virtual humans. Mm. Now, this is a powerful tool. This takes us well beyond LLMs into the land of AI and simulation. So AI simulation, another really interesting uh, topic. Um, and it's this idea, like I said, that it could unlock new drugs, new sort of chemical makeup for batteries, for example, and lots of different things. And, I, and it's this idea that lots of different combinations can be simulated by AI in a way humans and current systems can't. Um, and I think that's really fascinating because of the potential breakthroughs that it might bring. And we've seen with uh, the New York Times suing um, Microsoft, their own, you know, IP has been used to help produce ChatGPT or feeding off their intellectual property um, to come up with its own answers. Uh, but this is going beyond that, right? This is not trading on, off of other people's own intellectual property. No, there's even a part of this equation that's known as data synthesis. And this is a really interesting part of the AI simulation puzzle where let's say like an AI is trying to figure out uh, a new drug, for example, um, which is something that it is being applied to now. But the data set that it has, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oversimplify this a bit to try to explain it, but the data set that it has is, is effectively missing bits of data that may unlock the answers. You know, we as humans don't have it at this point in time, but what data synthesis means is the AI can almost create the data that's missing and fill in that missing part of the puzzle to then create a fuller picture with, which might unlock answers. And I think that's also really fascinating, this data synthesis part of the puzzle, which does work in tandem with this AI simulation. Because with AI simulation, again, it's about creating different combos, creating that data. And so that's, that's a fascinating part of the equation. It is fascinating. And um, I know that you also talked about robotics and AI. Are we now at uh, iRobot stage um, or are we still far off that? So with r robotics, um, this sort of just came out of some of the conversations I had, pretty much unprompted um, uh, as well. And so clearly it's something on the AI industry's mind. And the idea again is that with the advancement in some of these AI models, you infuse that into robotics, all of a sudden, um, you know, you've got something quite interesting. Um and, you know, Tesla, for example, is, is developing a humanoid robot, I, you know, like a, a robot that looks like a human, um, called Optimus. And uh, there are other companies around the world also looking at humanoid robots. And so what, what's, the, what's the purpose of these, these robots? Is it, is, it, is it to work in factories or is it to serve their masters? Um, what's the idea? I think... You know, there's lots of cases. I think working in factories is a good, you know, clear starter, lifting boxes and, and all of that kind of thing. I'm sure some people would love a sort of robot walking around their house and, you know, doing the dishes and maybe cooking food and stuff. But I don't think Fl that's going to be... Fluffing the pillows. Sort of fluffing the pillows. I don't think that's going to be for everyone, um, though. Um, but... Again, just to give an insight into this, I'd, I want to bring, bring Jack Hidery back in, the, the Sandbox AQ CEO, uh, because he, he, he was quite 
interesting on the topic of humanoid robots. Let's listen in. But I think one of the most powerful things we'll see this year, I'll make a prediction right here on stage and live on this program. This year, we'll see a ChatGPT moment for embodied AI, humanoid robots. Right. This year, 2024 and then 2025, we're not going to see robots rolling off the assembly line, but we're going to see them actually doing demonstrations of, in reality of what they can do using their smarts, using their brains, using LLMs, perhaps in other AI techniques, but doing things in the real world, in hospitals, in light assembly, in distribution centers, in a number of interesting applications. 20 companies have now been venture back to create humanoid robots, in addition, of course, to Tesla and many others. And so I think there's going to be a fascinating convergence this year when it comes to that. And, and then on top of that, actually, um, I spoke to Aidan Gomez, who's the CEO of Cohere, another one of these large language model AI startups, actually um, a Canadian firm. Um, and he also said he was excited about robotics. I think something big is going to happen in robotics. Right. Um, the large language models are they're exiting the phase where they're only interacting through language. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's like text in, like you write some text in, it writes some text out. That's starting to change. Now there's images in, now there's images out, audio in, audio out, video. Mm. Uh, and so this is unlocking the power of large language models for much more visual, spatial domains. And mm -hmm. so robotics is ripe for something immense. So yeah, so those are my, those are my sort of big takeaways this week, uh, I think, in terms of what next for AI. Um, it's about the the next level for sort of chatbot slash personal assistance. It's where AI simulation is going. And then it's also keep an eye out on robotics. That's interesting. We we should probably do an episode on robotics. We haven't really uh we haven't really uh sort of covered it uh, in great detail. So maybe we're yeah. uh that's our blind spot, Arjun. <laughs> so, should we uh, get a robot? Yes. That's that'll come in that we that will fit that in the budget, no problem. Um yeah. so. we could get a robot. You know those robot dogs? You yeah. can get. I think we'll get one of those and just let it walk around the office and see what people do. See how sort of social experiment we'll call it. Yeah, but they'll be like, "Whose dog is this?" And we won't tell them and just see how they treat yeah. it. Yeah, what they do with it, <laughs> turn it off or something. You know, um, there's going to be that one person that tries to sort of kick it over or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could name names, but you know, I wouldn't want to do that. That would. Uh, yeah. Better not. Be a bit, be a bit harsh. They might be um, listening to this. <laughs> well, doubt it. But um, <laughs> uh, let's oh, talk I've got to tell you a good story as well from from here uh, regarding oh, yeah. this podcast. Um, Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen, and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view, and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. I was on stage today. It's uh, Thursday, so I don't know what day you're listening to this, but uh, I was on stage today at our event space in Davos called The Sanctuary. Uh, packed out audience, which was great. That doesn't always happen. Um, and then I finished up my interviews, and then uh, the host uh, kept me back for a little bit of chit-chat. Um, and then, you know, uh, she asked me, oh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to record my podcast, Beyond the Valley. And, um, oh no, she asked the audience, who listens to Beyond the Valley? Oh no. Oh no. About three people. 
Oh no! Oh no! And I was like, "Don't do that." That was. <laughs> however, however, you know, you always got to sort of find the positives in these things. So I used it as a chance to plug the podcast and said, "Look, you should all listen to, you know, go onto Spotify, Apple, type in Beyond the Valley. It's a great podcast." And I'll talk about this moment and how mortifying it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was so mortifying. I, um, but you know what. Um, you got to put it our out listeners there. Listeners are across the world. They are. So, they are. Not a lot of them at Davos, yeah. I imagine. You know, they are. They're no, international, no. Um, and yes, uh, we 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 love yeah. them. So uh, we love them, and we're so grateful for everyone who does are, tune in. But are. sorry, I digress, Tom. But, but you digress. did digress. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about AI and blockchain. Um, we don't. We haven't talked a lot about blockchain recently. Uh, obviously, the technology that underpins cryptocurrency. Um, we're probably not going to go into an explainer of what blockchain is. If you don't already know, I'm sure you can find it. I've done a digital video on what what, blo- what a blockchain is, so I'm sure you'll find that somewhere. Um, but uh, explain how um, AI and blockchain are connected or how they could become connected. Yeah, so this this was a really interesting one. I, I didn't know about this before this week. So, I mean, just a quick one, I guess the blockchain in its simplest level is, is effectively a ledger um, that records information um and you can you know go back and see it and maybe uh multiple people can be uh sort of working on it it's like a much more advanced google doc shall we say and 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 i and i reference cryptocurrency because it's just what people sort of know it from but it's you its use is beyond far far reaching and far beyond uh, just crypto you're absolutely right. And I think people have tried to move away and separate the true to, you know, crypto does not equal blockchain. And, you know, the blockchains that underpin Bitcoin and Ethereum are different in their makeup to the blockchains that enterprises and businesses are using. Um, and so one of the interesting things was this. So if we, you know, take that explanation that blockchain is this sort of ledger of, of information activity um, that can't be tampered with. Um, that it is immutable, that it's supposed to be sort of the definitive ledger of, of some kind of activity. One of the ways blockchains could be used in AI is that when we talk about the training data for AI algorithms, that could be recorded on the blockchain as a way to then see um, what data was used to go into the trading, to then address questions over bias and things like that. Uh, And so this was a conversation I had with Meda Palika, the chief technology officer at Casper Labs, which is a uh, enterprise blockchain company. Uh, And she laid out the case uh, of the convergence of both blockchain and AI. Few ways it can be done. Um, The product that we are developing uh, the data sets are actually checkpointed and stored on the blockchain, so you have a proof of how the AI is trained. And if you notice bias or... Hallucin- in terms of the data that's in, being in fed In terms of the it. data, that's okay. right. And so as you use the AI, if it's learning and you find that the AI is starting to hallucinate, right. you can actually roll back the AI. Oh. And so you can undo some of the learning and go back to a previous version of the AI. And so we are co-developing with IBM uh, on Watson X governance to help govern the Watson X AI. And this can't be done right now with the traditional way that AIs are trained, the way ChatGPT and OpenAI are right. Correct, correct, right. Okay. You, you, you actually version the models and you version the data set and you can 
observe how the AI is learning mm. and then roll it back if you see something that is not. Because AIs don't necessarily learn from a single data source, they learn from many data sources, yeah. right? So being able to version that and checkpoint it and roll it back is really, really important. So I thought her view was really interesting in that she was saying, if all that information was on the blockchain, if the AI effectively misbehaves at some point, you could go back and find out where the issue was and maybe roll roll the AI version back, something you can't currently do at the moment. And so that was an interesting thought. That is, re- that is really interesting. And I think that's... Uh... Yeah, I think that addresses whether whether it works out like that, but that definitely addresses one of the big concerns that people have with with AI um, and who's respon- ultimately responsible for building the AI and, and their own inbuilt biases. Um, uh, yeah, that that's fascinating. Um, definitely, we'll, we'll uh, maybe explore that in, in greater detail in uh, future episodes. Um, when we uh when we talk about uh artificial intelligence I know you you mentioned to me um artificial general intelligence do you want to talk a little bit about that I know this is getting a bit heavy in the AI spectrum but um I'll, I'll just make a quick point on it because I don't know how to define it because the industry doesn't know how to define it um and, and that was basically that was basically the gist of my conversations this week uh, around this idea so The basic premise of artificial general intelligence, or AGI, is basically human level, if not better than human level, of AI that can do multi-purpose things. Um, This is hitting potentially sci-fi territory to some extent. One of the interesting things is whenever I asked anyone about it, um, they were like, well, we don't quite know how to define it yet, but we think it's probably coming (laughs) soon. Uh, Sam Altman. Uh, the CEO of um, of uh, OpenAI. He was here in town and he, w- he was speaking at a few uh, events. And he's been one who has sort of sounded the alarm a lot on the threats and existential risk of AI. And it seems like he's toned that down a little bit as well. What he said this week about AGI is that it could de- be developed in the reasonably close-ish future he said, but he effectively said it will change the world much less than we all think, and it will change jobs much less than we all think, um, which was quite interesting. Um, he said that, but I asked uh, Aidan Gomez, the the CEO of Cohere, about AGI. Uh, here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, for first off, AGI is like a super vaguely defined term. If we just, you know, term it as better than humans at pretty much whatever humans can do, I agree. It, it's going to be pretty soon that we can get systems that do that. The question is really about how quickly can we adopt it? Mm. How quickly can we put it into production? The scale of these models make adoption difficult, and so a focus for us at Cohere has been about compressing that down, making them more adoptable, more efficient. Um, I think we will have that technology quite soon, but for it to actually you know, diffuse into our environment, our daily lives, the way that we work, that could really take decades. So he's quite you know, optimistic that it's coming soon, but he did note that it's a vaguely defined term. Um, so that's going to be quite interesting. And he tempered the expectation saying that even if the te- tech is there, the question's really about how quickly, you know, it can be scaled and used and that kind of stuff. So yeah, an- another sort of interesting nugget that's come out of the week. 
let's talk about uh, a little bit about crypto. Um, I know we did a whole episode last week on the ETF, but it has been a week since that ETF um, was announced. Uh, I imagine there was, you know, AI, a lot of people talking about AI, but I imagine crypto was on uh, a lot of people's minds as well. Um, I know that uh, Jamie Dimon gave a cracking interview for our US colleagues. Let's just say that um, Jamie Dimon is skeptical on Bitcoin. Uh, but uh, this is some of some of that interview and uh, some of what he had to say about um, the ETF. I re- this is the last time I've ever talked about this in CNBC, okay? <laughs> so help me God. <laughs> Blockchain is real. It's a technology. We use it. It's going to move money. It's going to move data. It's efficient. We've been talking about that for 12 years, too, and it's very small. Okay, so I think we've wasted too many words in that. Cryptocurrencies, there are two types. There's a cryptocurrency which might actually do something. Think of a cryptocurrency as an embedded smart contract in it, and that we can use it buy and sell real estate and move data. That may have value. The idea of tokenizing. Tokenizing things that, that you do something with. And then there's one which does nothing. I call it the pet rock, the Bitcoin or something like that. And so on the Bitcoin, you know, there's, first of all, and I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke here. There are use cases, AML, fraud, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance, sex trafficking. Those are real use cases. And you see it being used for hundreds, maybe 50, 100 billion dollars right. a year for that. That is the end use case. Everything else is people train among themselves. So, I mean, <laughs> the fact that he said, I'm done talking about Bitcoin, and then proceeded to have to talk about Bitcoin um, seemed a bit unfair. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes about fraud, tax avoidance being uh, a use case for Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, nothing new, really. He's been saying this for a long time. He's never been a fan of Bitcoin. Um, and, and nothing's changed there. And I don't know if this is going to be the last time he speaks about Bitcoin. I think he'll come back on at some point and someone's going to ask him about it again and he'll have to answer it. Uh, or he'll maybe storm off stage. I he, don't might, know. he might boycott uh, CNBC if they ask him again. Might, yeah. Um, but look, I, I think one, one of the overarching themes of the ETF, particularly from you know those who are more uh, Bitcoin inclined or at least crypto inclined, is that the ETF has proved that Bitcoin as an asset class is here to stay. Um, that is one of the big messages. And so, you know, whatever you think of it uh, in terms of its utility or lack of utility, uh, depending on what viewpoint you take, uh, as an investing asset for now, it, it's around. There's ETFs, um, etc. Now, the SEC, the US Securities and Exchange Commission, approved 11 of them. Um, that's a lot. And I wonder if demand will hold up. Maybe some of those will get pulled from the market or, you know, uh, et cetera. Does there need to be 11 different ETFs tracking the exact same thing? Probably not. But a lot of it's going to depend on demand um, for the product. Uh, and that's still, the, the question of that is still uh, up in the air, I think. How much demand this is going to have over the longer term? Um, and what kind of, and what does this do to, to, to Bitcoin over the longer term in terms of even in, like, do we still see the massive cycles where Bitcoin can drop 80% off of its all time highs or does an ETF bring in more stability? It's safe to say the industry more broadly is very excited about the ETF. They, they love that it's here and they love that they've scored a victory over the US SEC and almost forced it to pass these um, Bitcoin ETFs into uh, into reality. But 
Um, yeah, I think that's the that's the view. Uh, very good, uh, very positive. My own opinion is let's see how this goes, what the demand is like, and whether all eleven ETFs will survive. I imagine that that level of excitement uh, was was there when you interviewed the CEO of Ripple uh, this week. Um, I I listened to a little bit of it, but uh, how did that go? And um, you know, j- actually, for our listeners, just to sort of explain who who that is and and what Ripple does uh, before you, we get into that. Yep, um, Ripple is a um, blockchain company that looks to use um, blockchain technology and its token, its digital currency XRP, to facilitate cross border. Um, money transactions effectively. Um, XRP is the token. I'm sure many of our listeners know about that. Um, But one of the things, Ripple's been in a lawsuit, I think, since 2020 with the US Securities and Exchange Commission. And Brad Garlinghouse is the CEO. He's a... you know, he, he he gave all sorts of views across across the spectrum. He he thinks that you know bit, uh, the broader crypto markets will be pretty buoyant this year. Um, but one of the I'd say spiciest parts of the conversation was his view towards the U.S. Security Exchange Commission, and in particular Gary Gensler. Let me just bring you that moment. There's an expression about, uh, you know, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and not expecting a different outcome. I think Gary Gensler is doing the same thing over and over again, and it it thinks that somehow he's going to win in court. He has continued to lose in court. Uh, I do think the chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, has become a political liability in the United States. And I think he's not acting in the best interest of the citizenry. He's not acting in the best interest of the long-term growth of the economy. Uh, and it, it, I don't understand it. And I think at some point, you know, there will be a new chair of the SEC. And I think uh, that'll be a good thing for the American people. So Garlinghouse calling U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission chair Gary Gensler a political liability and thinks that he's going to um, not be the head of the SEC um, in the future. Um, and so, you know, there's a reason he's not happy with the SEC, the fact that the SEC sued Ripple and sued Garlinghouse personally as well. Um, We did reach out to the SEC and they did not immediately respond to a CNBC request for comment. Um, But, you know, I think that underscores the way the crypto industry is still seeking clarity from the US regulators in particular about what they can and cannot do. And through the week, I've been having discussions as well around regulation in the US, whether we get laws this year. and, uh, And that's a big focus for the industry. Okay, uh, I think that's all we have time for. But before we go, we have obviously got to do Stat of the Week, uh, which uh, is, to remind our listeners and me... (laughs) 50 billion US dollars, Tom. Uh, I'm really struggling with this one. Um, The the projected value of OpenAI in 2024? No, it is not that. You're kind of along the right lines. The actual answer is the amount of money generative AI and AI related startups raised in 2023, $50 billion. That is staggering. And I think that underscores the the hype right now in this industry and potentially the overvaluations of some of these startups. And at some point, this bubble will burst as we have seen with many other bubbles too. Um, But right now, they're riding a strong wave. Companies in this space are raising astronomical figures to fund what is also 
uh, a very capital intensive business. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. I'm, I'm looking forward to 12 months time and listening back to this episode. And then we can, it's, it's a nice sort of historical bookmark to, to see where, where we were at 12 months ago and, and where things have moved on from. Um, but yeah, um, maybe we'll clip this, this particular moment for our, <laughs> for our podcast in 12 months time. <laughs> And then just see how wrong we were. How wrong we were, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much, uh, Arjun, for uh, making time uh, in your busy schedule and uh, safe travels back to London. Uh, I will see you next week. Uh, for our listeners, thank you for joining us. Um, if you have any other questions on on AI or uh, any of the discussions we had on crypto then please email beyondthevalley at cnbc.com and we will attempt to answer them on the pod thank you arjun thank you tom we'll be back next week for another episode of beyond the valley goodbye beyond the valley